So we've been reminded that Jesus had died and been buried last Friday. The Sabbath day, the Saturday in between, a day of rest, a day of waiting, a day of wondering. We now have the opportunity to hear the extraordinary account of the historical biography written by Matthew, a follower of Jesus, about what happened on the Sunday morning. We're reading from Matthew chapter 28 from verse 1. After the Sabbath, at dawn on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to look at the tomb. There was a violent earthquake, for an angel of the Lord came down from heaven and going to the tomb, rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning and his clothes were white as snow. The guards were so afraid of him that they shook and became like dead men. The angel said to the woman, Do not be afraid, for I know that you are looking for Jesus who was crucified. He is not here. He has risen just as he said. Come and see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples he has risen from the dead and is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him. Now I have told you. So the women hurried away from the tomb, afraid yet filled with joy, and ran to tell his disciples. Suddenly Jesus met them. Greetings, he said. They came to him, clasped his feet and worshipped him. Then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee. There they will see me. While the women were on their way, some of the guards went into the city and reported to the chief priests everything that had happened. When the chief priests had met with the elders and devised a plan, they gave the soldiers a large sum of money, telling them, you are to say his disciples came during the night and stole him away while we were asleep. If this report gets to the governor, we will satisfy him and keep you out of trouble. So the soldiers took the money and did as they were instructed. And this story has been widely circulated among the Jews to this very day. Good evening, everyone. And my welcome to that of Rods and the others. If you don't know me, my name's Ken. I'm one of the pastors here. Uh, if you are visiting, uh, joining us with us first time or through the uh, online, an extra special welcome to you. Uh, we'd love to meet and talk with you after the service, so do stay afterwards for supper and a chat. Um, we've already been greeted with He is risen. He's risen indeed, and as we've just heard from Matthew, Jesus' resurrection is indeed what we're looking at tonight. So will you join with me in asking God for his enabling to understand how we should respond to the resurrection? Let's pray. Lord God, we do thank you for this time of the year that here in Australia, as in many other places, we can meet together. Uh, in security, in peace, uh, and reflect on events that took place a long time ago. Others are gathering together now, potentially in fear for what could happen because they meet to think about Jesus and his resurrection. 
And so as we spend time thinking about this passage from Matthew's Gospel, you, we again ask that you would enable us not only to understand the words that are there in writing, uh, but what they mean for us and how you intend for us to respond. Help us to do this uh, for Jesus' sake. Amen. Plot twists, bombshells, unexpected outcomes. Call them what you will. The feeling of elation when things go from disaster to great is what dreams are made of. Think Stephen Bradbury from last place to Olympic gold medal. Mr. Darcy from scorned pariah to adored lover. Apple Incorporated from a crazy idea in a nerd's garage to the world's first trillion dollar company. And while all might strike us as fairy tale outcomes, notice that two out of three examples are true stories. The unexpected really does happen, which I think is a really helpful reminder for us this evening as we think about Jesus' resurrection. To many, I think Jesus' crucifixion feels like the opposite of those examples, that, that he had been on course for greatness only for it to be snatched away by his cruel death. To many, Jesus' crucifixion feels like it's the opposite. The anticipated outcome of his crucifixion, according to the leaders at the time, was that Jesus' famous 15 minutes of fame would now come to an end. And Jesus' enemies tried to ensure that that would be the case. Rod read for us at the start of the service the the posting of the guard to ensure that the disciples couldn't steal the body away. An insurance policy of type to to ensure that no tricks could unexpectedly turn this situation around at this final moment. Surely Jesus' death is the end, they think, which is where we pick up from tonight. While the account that's just been read for us is very familiar, what we may not have noticed before is how much Matthew intentionally builds the unexpected into his account of what took place. Have a look again from verse 1. After the Sabbath at dawn, on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to look at the tomb. Now, who wants to be known as the other Mary all their life? But if you go back and read, you'll find out who she is. But, but notice that there are assumptions built into what Matthew writes. People go to look at tombs in anticipation of being sad when they get there. Matthew doesn't need to state it. He doesn't need to write it down because everybody already knows it. What we should be noticing is that there's no indication whatsoever that these two women expected anything out of the ordinary. As friends who haven't been able to attend a funeral or, or someone trying to process the very recent death of a loved one, Mary Magdalene, and the other Mary go to visit Jesus' tomb. The previous chapter, verse 61, tells us that they had watched as Jesus' dead body had been placed inside just days earlier, and now they go to what they believe will be Jesus' final resting place, to say goodbye, to to cry, to, to wonder how on earth can life go on without Jesus. But that logical next step is interrupted by an angel and an earthquake. The unexpected takes place. It's really important to realise that verses 2 to 3 
are not included here as an alternate explanation to tectonic plates as the cause of earthquakes. Matthew's point is not the science of earthquakes, but that the angel of the Lord comes down as God's messenger and absolutely everything is going to be shaken. As God's messenger, in a moment, he will speak. But his first message involves rolling away the stone that sealed Jesus' tomb. And this spectacular act communicates, communicates great power, both the angel's own power and Jesus' power over death. Those assumed in the story to be powerful, the soldiers on guard, tremble like dead men in response to a clearly greater power. But this isn't just the story of who's stronger. The angel's initial actions are, are followed by even more of the unexpected. Look again from verse 5. The angel said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you are looking for Jesus who was crucified. He is not here. He has risen, just as he said. Come and see the place where he lay. Come and see. God's messenger knows that for many people, seeing is believing. And so he moved the stone not to let Jesus out, but to let the women see in. They went to view a tomb containing the remains of a dead man and instead find themselves looking into an empty tomb. But even then, what they see needs to be explained to them. An empty tomb potentially could mean many different things. Perhaps someone had managed to steal the body after all. Maybe they'd gone to the wrong spot in their grief. They'd turned up to some other tomb. Maybe, but God's messenger makes the definitive claim. He is not here. He's risen. Jesus has risen, just as he said. It's what today is all about. Jesus has risen. It's amazing. It was completely unexpected at the time. If Jesus had died and stayed dead, it would have been a noble act. Perhaps he would still be an example that, that we could emulate. But according to Matthew, that's not what happened. A grave outside Jerusalem is not where we can go to pay our respects to a, a great teacher and miracle worker. The angel says he's not here. And that fact remains true to this day. And yet, it was clearly unexpected news to the women, despite the fact that Jesus had told them before he died that he was going to rise. And, and so the angel must explain the required response. The, the observation and explanation about the empty tomb must lead them into action. Go quickly. Tell his disciples to go to Galilee where you will see him. Mary and Mary had set out to mourn and instead find themselves sent with the task of passing on a totally unexpected message. As women in an even more male-dominated society than our own, totally unexpected messengers are given an unexpected message to pass on. Yet notice again that all of this doesn't bring about the fairy tale we would expect if this was all made up. Have a look from at verse 8. So the women hurried away from the tomb, afraid yet filled with joy, and ran to tell his disciples. Afraid yet filled with joy. The soldiers had been scared almost to death. The women too 
are feeling fear. Clearly what they're feeling is not identical. Those two groups are quite different. But an encounter with an angel clearly gets the heart beating. And an unexpected empty tomb doesn't immediately bring about internal peace, even when it's been explained to mean that Jesus has risen. I think that most of us can probably relate to the women. At some point, we felt both happy and at the same time sad, excited and fearful. The mixed feelings the women experience add weight to the authenticity of this account. It's either an incredibly clever forgery or it's just an accurate record of things that actually took place. At the same time as their fear, these two women are also overjoyed by the message that they've heard and seen. And so they run to share it with the others. I wonder if the start of verse 9 indicates that Jesus, having left the tomb before the stone was rolled away, was waiting outside to see, how's Mary and Mary going to respond to this? I don't know, but seeing them run back towards Jerusalem, Jesus knows exactly what they're feeling. And so, because of that, he stops them. Verse 9. Suddenly Jesus met them. Greetings, he said. They came to him, clasped his feet and worshipped him. Then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee. There they will see me. Do not be afraid. Technically, it's a command. Jesus is ordering them to stop being scared. But I think in practice, it's primarily a word of comfort. He knows exactly how Mary and Mary are feeling. And while their mixed emotions are to be expected, a a very natural response to what has taken place, it is not how they should feel. So Jesus says, don't be afraid. Again, it's an intriguing, almost unnecessary detail to include in such a short account He's only got a limited space to write. Why include this? The angels already told the Marys, don't be afraid, and it hasn't made a scrap of difference to them. But Jesus is concerned for these women, even down to how they feel. They don't need to fear because he really is risen, which seems to be the main point of his stopping them. They're already on their way to tell the disciples of the empty tomb, the angels' message, So Jesus is not changing their direction or or adding any further information. Yet Jesus stops them, receives their worship and repeats what the angel has already said. Don't fear. Instead, go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee. And then what? They just let Jesus walk off. He disappears from their sight and they, they head on their way with their fear completely gone. Well, maybe... But Matthew doesn't answer all the questions that we might have. Instead, he reports a very different response, making the the contrasting accounts of the women's response and the soldiers the main point of what he's trying to communicate. Have a look at verse 11. While the women were on their way, some of the guards went into the city and reported to the chief priests everything that had happened. Now, again, we might want to know the details of what the soldiers said. Were they honest, really, about everything, about what they'd seen, heard, and even the fear that they had felt? Were they mystified, struggling to comprehend what had happened? Were they open to the possibility that a dead man really is alive again? 
Well, Matthew doesn't bother to tell us. Rather, what we do here is the scheme that the chief priests and elders concoct to cover up the unexpected. Have a look from verse 13. You are to say, his disciples came during the night and stole him away while we were asleep. If this report gets to the governor, we will satisfy him and and keep you out of trouble. So the soldiers took the money and did as they were instructed. And this story has been widely circulated among the Jews to this very day. And a couple of thousand years later, we might say, and continues to circulate amongst many peoples. It is so incredibly sad that in the face of such unexpected news, the, the religious leaders fall back into an all-too-typical response. Rather than listen to witnesses, they create their own story to discredit witnesses. Rather than submit to authority displayed, they do whatever it takes to cling to their own authority. Rather than slow down and consider whether the unexpected could have actually happened this time, they bury their heads in the sand, refusing to entertain the possibility that the greatest of all plot twists has just taken place right in front of their faces. It is two polar opposites. A couple of powerless women see the unexpected. They get turned around, they meet Jesus, and they're sent to tell others about him. A group of powerful men hear the unexpected. They stay on their unchanged course, and they try to stop others hearing about Jesus. And I think that these two reactions exemplify the two reactions that we can make to Jesus' resurrection. Are we so invested in our existing conclusions that we're unwilling to accept the possibility of the unexpected? Maybe our logic is getting in the way of the truth. You might be thinking, sure, a tech startup becoming a a trillion-dollar company is amazing, a, a skater, in last place coming first is extraordinary, but, but Jesus' resurrection demands that we accept that a dead man literally comes back to life. That's not a one in a billion. That's just impossible. Many of us have heard the real-life Cinderella story. Princess Mary met her real-life prince in a bar at the Sydney Olympics. But while a commoner and the Prince of Denmark got married a few years later... No pumpkins were turned into coaches by Mary's fairy godmother. So there's a big difference between accepting something amazing and something literally miraculous. So sure, the unexpected does sometimes happen in real life, but but the resurrection is clearly in the realm of fairy tales, isn't it? Both science and experience say that no one can die and come back to life. And yet to reject the witnesses... Because what they say doesn't fit with our existing beliefs is to respond as the religious leaders do rather than as the women did. To come up with an alternative explanation isn't reasonable doubt. It's refusal to listen. So how will we respond to the unexpected? Maybe today God has already convinced you that it's time to acknowledge what you already know is true. It is unexpected, but Jesus did rise from the dead. If that's you, then talk to somebody. The friend that you came with, your family member, one of the pastors after the service. There is literally nothing more important in life than dealing with this fact that Jesus rose from the dead. 
don't leave here without having that conversation. But if you're still not sure, then my encouragement to you today is to take another look at the evidence. We have Bibles out there in the foyer that you are welcome to come and take home for free. Come and grab one and read through what the witnesses claim, not just Matthew, but other witnesses. Rather than accepting what someone else has said about the Bible, read it for yourself before making your decision. If you'd like company as you investigate, Christianity Explored is a, is a course that we regularly run here at the church in people's homes, which you can listen to the claims that Jesus made about himself. And you can ask as many questions as you want about those claims. Come and talk afterwards to, to make a time to get started in one of those courses. If you prefer to have someone else ask and respond to your questions, download, borrow or buy Tim Keller's book, The Reason for God, and consider a clear and reasoned response to some of the most common objections to Christianity today. It's not a hard read and he doesn't try to twist your arm. In it, he acknowledges that there is no irrefutable proof for the existence of God or for Jesus' resurrection. If you want to get around it, there's ways that you can argue, oh, that can't have happened. But the number of clues that point in the direction to this is the truth and also the faith assumptions that you have to make to deny them are something that we all need to think through and acknowledge. The very fact that this account of Jesus' resurrection continues to this day and the leader's assumption that, that Jesus' 15 minutes of fame hasn't come to an end should give you cause to wonder if maybe, just maybe, you've been too quick to dismiss the unexpected. Then there's the rest of us. If you have already accepted that Jesus both died and rose again, the final four verses of Matthew chapter 28 confirm how we should respond. We've already seen how the two Marys were sent with an unexpected message. The disciples listened to the Marys and so travelled to Galilee. Continuing the little details that confirm the authenticity of this account, they worshipped, but some of them doubted. Even seeing wasn't enough to make everyone believe. And yet in response, Jesus wasn't mad. He didn't throw them out. He didn't disown them. Rather, the resurrected Jesus said to his disciples, verse 18, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. As the two Marys were unexpectedly sent with a message, so we have been unexpectedly sent with a message to all nations. The news of Jesus' resurrection is far too good to keep to ourselves. Let's get involved in sharing it to the ends of the earth. If you take up my challenge and you get one of those Bibles and read through the various accounts, you'll find that each of the Gospels finish quite differently. Mark's original ending has the women just running from the tomb and then it stops. Luke tells of the disciples who at first didn't recognise Jesus on the road as they were walking to Emmaus. John gives us the most details, Peter and John's race to the tomb. 
Mary's extended conversation with Jesus, Thomas's doubting, Peter's restoration. Matthew, in comparison, is intentionally brief and laser-focused. While he no doubt knew about all of the things that took place, he doesn't tell us of anything that happened in those 40 days between Jesus' resurrection and his return to the Father. The one thing that he wants us to understand is that Jesus' resurrection must be shared. We have to pass it on. The one who has risen with all authority says, don't be afraid, go and tell. And remember that as we do this, the risen Jesus is with us and will always be with us until the end of the age. Happy Easter. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for Easter, particularly for this day on which we can uh, specially focus on your resurrection. The proof that the price that was paid for all our shame and sin was paid in full and accepted so that we can be fully restored to right relationship with you. Not because of things that we have done, not because of things that we will do, but because of what you did for us. Lord, I pray for people here tonight who are still thinking that through and haven't yet trusted in you. Please enable them to see what's been done on their behalf so that they can put their trust in you. Receive that relationship, that restoration to perfect relationship with God. Lord, for us who've known you, whether for a few years or for many, I pray that you would make us increasingly bold as we share this unexpected message, both here where we live and around the world. May people hear very clearly of Jesus' resurrection and come to put their trust in it too. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen.